Welcome to the 27th episode of A Change of the Chance. My name is Ryan Lowe, and my goal is to educate listeners, especially young ones, on the issues in this world by interviewing different experts who can lead us into the charge for change. Two of the most popular activism topics in our world are climate and social justice issues. On this podcast, we've talked about both many times. But if both are so popular, why isn't their intersection just as well known? This intersection is known as environmental justice, or climate justice. Environmental justice is an important aspect of modern activism, as both environmental pressures and justice issues define what we are as a planet. However, such a broad topic can be difficult to understand, from the nuances of cause and perpetrator to the small details of injustice that go unnoticed by most. Luckily, there are some expert groups in this field, like the organization Climate Justice Alliance, a nonprofit dedicated to inspiring change in frontline communities, building resilient, equitable economies, and exposing false promises posed as solutions. One incredible person leading this fight is Carlos Torrealba, Climate Justice Alliance's member mobilization and engagement organizer. Mr. Torrealba's organizing work has revolved around structuring for frontline communities to not only face the climate crisis head on, but to also fight the extractive economy that exploits workers and communities. So I'm happy to introduce Mr. Torrealba. How are you today, Mr. Torrealba? I'm doing well. How are you? It's Friday, so... <laughs> yeah. <exactly>. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing good. Okay, so uh, let's get into the questions. Uh, yeah. Well, can you please tell us about what environmental justice is and how it dis- differs from solely environmental activism? Sure. Um, so environmental justice or climate justice, as I think most folks know it as these days, um, came out of a, a need of by frontline communities. So when we talk about frontline communities, those are communities most impacted by the climate crisis. So those are often communities of color, those are often working class, um, poor folks, those are often people in rural communities, um, indigenous communities. Um, So people from those communities got together, um, you know, over the years, and actually it really culminated in the 90s, um, where they came out with a set of principles called the Hermes Principles. Um, And the Hermes Principles for organizing are the foundation for climate justice, environmental justice work. And it differs from regular climate work, A, because it's led by the people most impacted by the climate crisis, but also because I think what makes us differ from the mainstream kind of environmental movement is that we understand the root causes of the climate crisis, which is our economic system. which is one based on an extractive economy, right? Where we extract, 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 both extract um, from the earth, but also extract from people. And so in order to tackle it, it's not just about recycling. It's not just about, you know, lowering your emissions, but it's actually about changing the systems which led us to this point. Um, And so I think that is the biggest difference between what you would call the climate movement and the climate justice movement is that we're really trying to tackle the root causes because even if we fix this crisis via, you know, just 
changing our life. Like we're not going to change it by just changing our lifestyles, et cetera. It's about actually changing the root causes of it. Um, so that's kind of how we differ. And it also differs on who's leading it. I think if you look at the mainstream climate movements, often white folks, right? Yeah. Um, folks who come from, you know, wealthier backgrounds and have the capacity to, while for our communities, it's not just kind of a hobby, it's about survival, right? Um, and survival of ourselves and our cultures and uh, the planet. Well, it does sound like that in climate justice is that perfect intersection between environmental and social movements, would you say? Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too that I would emphasize is that climate justice isn't um, isolated from all these other movements, right? Um, it's very much intersectional, whether it's, you know, fighting against white supremacy, whether it's um, labor, right, workers who are organizing, it's all very interconnected in all these different movements. Um, and that's, I think, also what differs it from the mainstream is that we really interconnect and intersect with those different struggles as well. Yeah. Okay, so uh, how do environmental injustices impact communities and what are some common characteristics of these communities? Yeah. Um, again, it manifests itself in various ways, um, but I, I think some like very like common examples is Oftentimes, um, because of the historic, and you know, we're just talking about a U.S. context here, right? It's different across the globe and in the global south. But um, I think one defining characteristic is often our communities of color were uh, redlined into neighborhoods that were exposed to uh, either were undesirable lands, right? That they were forced onto both indigenous communities and just black communities and other communities of color. Um, and oftentimes those became sacrifice zones, right? So they would put coal plants there. They would put incinerators there. They would put landfills there. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's one of the, I think probably the, the best example of environmental racism and the fights that were happening, that are happening, right? Because when you put a coal plant next to a community, not only is that toxic, right, and it has health ramifications, um, and so it leads to a lot of issues, right? And so um, that's one way it manifests itself. Another way it manifests itself specifically for like indigenous communities outside of what I just said is also the loss of land and the loss of culture, right? And the loss of foodways, right? Uh, food systems that um, both indigenous communities and immigrant communities who came to the U.S. Um, right, have lost a lot of connection to that, which has had a lot of ramifications on health and on culture. Um, to this day, right, um, I think there's a lot of talk about like electric vehicles, right, for example. And I always like to bring that up because electric vehicles are great, but that's not the issue we're dealing with, right? Most of our communities can't afford cars or live in areas where just having cars is not an accessible thing, right, to move around. And so a lot of our communities rely on trans on public transportation, right, which here in the U.S. is very much underfunded. Um, it's not equitable, right? And so um, that's another example, right? And again, going back to what I had said earlier is we want to tackle those root causes. We don't believe that everybody should have an electric car. We believe that everybody should have access to mass public transportation, right? Um, 
And so it's about reframing, reframing how we think of ourselves and our relations with each other and, and society. Um, so transit's another great example, you know, the loss of land, like I said, I think one that I already alluded to was uh, food, right? And how we relate to food. Um, and there's, you know, so much implications around food and, and health with food with folks and the ability to access food and also the loss of, of traditional foods, right? That many people for, for millennials were eating, right? Um, and so those are just a few examples, right? And, uh, and one more, I'll just leave it at this, um, is militarization, right? Mm. So you look at, in the US context, you look at Alaska, right? Which is in between the US and China, right? Um, I mean, Russia, or you look at uh, Guam, which is a U.S. territory, which is also positioned between the U.S. and China. There's heavy militarization in those areas um, so that indigenous communities are being displaced. But while also being displaced, they're being exposed to toxic military weapons. Right. They use, for example, in Guam, we have members in Guam um, who are fighting back against, you know, they're using their lands as testing grounds, right? With bombs, with weaponry, that's poisoning people's water and health. Um, so those are just a few examples of how how that kind of manifests itself. I mean, there's millions of examples, but uh, those are just three for you. Yeah. It seems like environmental injustices are deeply rooted in people, in the institution, and mm -hmm. dealt like dealt like that from the bottom up, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. They're they're deeply embedded in, in how um, our society functions. And, you know, we always talk about, again, it's white supremacy and um, our capitalist system of extraction. Yeah. yeah. So there are many notable examples of environmental injustices that have gone viral, such as Flint, Michigan, or the Afton protests. But what are some more common acts of environmental injustice that some may not realize they're facing? like a racial microaggression? Mm -hmm. um, let me think about that one. I think transit is one of them. I know I talked about that earlier, but I think people often forget like that movement, the movement of folks and movement of people. Transit is a big one. Um, and again, in black and brown neighborhoods and in, on indigenous, you know, what we call, what the U.S. calls reservations, like there isn't that transit, right? Food, right? Um, food and how it's produced food and how it's consumed, um, and also just the erasure of, of a lot of foodways, right? We have a standard American diet, right? Um, that, again, takes away that cultural richness that we have with all our different communities. Um, and it also has those implications around health, right? Um, I think, yeah, I think those are... I think, yeah, I think for me, the one, because, you know, and I've done organizing around this, it, transit is one that's like, it's so important, um, but it can seem very like insignificant to people, but it has so much, so many ramifications beyond just, you know, getting from point A to point B, right? It has the ramifications on our health, on our well-being, also the ability to have free time, you know, I think that's important, leisure and and. and the, the ability to be creative, the ability to have time to, to be with family and friends, which a lot of our communities don't because folks have to work and they have to transit to work, right? Um, so little things like that are also part of that, yeah. Yeah, I do think it's a big thing in most different activist issues that 
little things or things that seem little get overshadowed by these big issues, but everything harms people in the same way. Yeah. And it's all interconnected and it's all part of that web. That's part of the bigger problem, right? Again, that's why we always talk about the root causes. What are the root causes of these issues? Because if you're talking about, you know, a toxic incinerator in New Jersey, and you're talking about transit injustice in Miami, those things are interconnected. They might not seem interconnected, but they're all interconnected. So, yeah. So you already talked about, about this a little before, but could you elaborate on how the government is involved with environmental injustices, like the capitalist system that we do have here in America? Yeah. So, also, you know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're good. What has like been done to help the situation by the government as well? Yeah. So, um, again, it's so embedded in, in our systems and in our institutions. Um, and I think you to really like give it justice, you really have to go back to the foundation of this country. Right. Um, and the the genocide and um, removal and murder of indigenous communities. Right. When, which started back in whatever it was, 500 years ago. Right. Um, and then from there, you go to, to slavery, right? And the genocide and extractive removal of Africans from Africa and brought here, right? And from those two things, really how that institutionalized itself into our, our, our whole DNA as a nation, that is embedded in that, right? And so when you think about, um, and you know, and then beyond that, right? When immigrant communities were coming into the US, you know, post-Civil War, right? How folks were being ex exploited for work, right? Whether they were Asian communities in the railway industry, you know, on the West Coast, or, you know, even the Irish and other Eastern Europeans up here on the East Coast, right? So the way we put profit over people's well-being and the well-being of each other um, is so foundational to this country, right? And, um at the end of the day, you know, these institutions and supported by the U.S. are looking to profit, profit, profit. How can we increase that profit for the few um, at the backs of each of the majority of the world and um, this planet, right? Um, so it's so embedded in, in, in our DNA as a country and in our government, right? And our government has worked hand in hand with these corporations, right? Has worked hand in hand with with these these uh, players who have, have done this damage to our communities, right? Um, and so, you know, oftentimes they're one and the same, I would say. Um, and there hasn't been like thinking about modern times, you know, there hasn't been that that safeguarding of our planet, right? Because the government will will ignore, you know, polluting rivers and polluting oceans and whatever because that'll affect the bottom line of a corporation, right? Or a company, or, you know, which oftentimes they're like, again, they're <laughs> the same people who run a government end up working at these places or vice versa, right? Um, so it's just so embedded in, in how our country was founded and how our country functions still to this day. Um, in terms of addressing that, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency was founded in, I think, the 70s. I don't remember the exact date, right? But, you know, that was one stride of trying to rectify that, right? Um, and, you know, in the 60s, there was a whole movement and 
um, Silent Spring by um, Rachel, um, I got it for her last name, right? But kind of exposed the the pollution that was happening in, in our Carson, Rachel Carson, um, that was happening in our, in our, in our communities um, and everything. And so, you know, there's been little incremental efforts by the government, right? Um, I think thinking like the last few years, right? There's been a new administration that came in. There was a big movement to to pass a Green New Deal type legislation, right? Yeah. Um, that failed. Um, and, you know, one thing that we in the climate justice movement are like paying attention to and fighting back against is what we call false solutions. Because, you know, I think there are strides within the government to rectify some of these things, but oftentimes they're bringing in false solutions, which hurt our communities even more. So for example, we're very much against the concept of carbon neutral, right? Because again, what we want is the complete stop of fossil fuel extraction. And when there's these carbon markets, and I won't get into it because it's very like heady, you know, and can get very complicated, but carbon markets are pretty much a market-based scheme, right? So using the same capitalist system that caused the problem to solve it, right? And so, I mean, I ask you, like, can you solve the problem using the same formula that created it? Probably not. No, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so those are things that are happening right now that they're pushing, right? So again, like the electric car thing, right? I think electric cars are great, but that's not gonna solve our problems. We don't want more electric cars, right? We, we want, like, again, other things that are actually addressing our needs and the fundamental causes of, of these issues. So again, there are strides. And also, I also think it depends on, on, on different levels, right, of government. Um, I think there's some really cool stuff happening at the local and state level, you know, uh, New Jersey passed last, I think it was last year, um, uh, environmental justice legislation, uh, which was, is really cool. I mean, it has its, its gaps, but you know, it's really cool. Um, there's smaller efforts at city levels, right, that are that are being passed, but at the federal level, there, there's still a lot um, that needs to happen that is not happening. Um, and we really are trying to push that to happen. So you can find really cool things at, at different levels, especially at the local and state level, like I said, but on a more broader, larger scheme, it's not happening. Well, I find it really interesting that the government involvement and institutional side of environmental justice is quite the same as the one from social justice. And it really goes back to the whole interconnection thing you were saying. Yep, exactly. And then also like the whole formula for problem as a solution. It's like people always say fighting fire with fire, but all that does is mm -hmm. fire and on both sides. So exactly. Definitely not exactly. Yeah, definitely not. And so not only are we fighting the stuff that we've already been fighting for years, but now we're fighting these new fights yeah. that are being presented to, to people as solutions, but they're not, right? So it, it's it's very interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So can environmental injustices occur from an interpersonal side? We talked about institutional, structural, but what about personal? Interpersonal, um, well, I think, I don't know, 
you know, if it, it could be as interpersonal as like me to someone else, but I think it, it does manifest itself in like, for example, in, in where I live in Orlando, Florida, you know, um, the wealthier white communities, right. Um, have created their own kind of like cities and towns where they're, they pay their own taxes. Right. And so that money stays there and that's leaving these other areas um, without the funds to build the infrastructure that's needed and to rectify some of the things. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, so there's things like that that happen more like community to community. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like an ex a concrete example of like interpersonal, like me to you, right? Um, I think it's it's more, yeah, I think the, the smallest, I, I mean, probably, I think the answer probably yes, but I can't really think of a, a concrete example right now aside from like community to community, right? Well, um, I think maybe like interpersonal is just not even acknowledging that these things are happening, right? I think there's a lot of folks who, completely dismiss a lot of us and say no no that's not you know you know <laughs> that's not a, a reality but again you know so yeah okay yeah that's a good point and it's just like when you talked about or actually oh you know before you go i actually did think of something so again going back to the individualism right where and this has actually happened to me with one of our city commissioners uh we're, we were trying to work on some energy uh, efficiency so that's like creating you know a lot of people in Orlando and Florida are renters right so they live in poor housing um, and because it's the houses are insulated well and because they have um, like fridges and stoves that are like not energy efficient their utility bills are very high right um, and so for example we reached out to one of our city commissioners and she said she didn't want to meet with us and she said I already have solar panels on my house. So, you know, there's like this individualism around, oh, I'm doing my part. So like, I don't care, you know? So there is that, I think that's important to emphasize. Like, I think a lot of people see it as this individualist. Oh, I'm doing my part. I'm recycling. I have solar panels, but that's not, again, that's not going to do anything. Like, I think it's what a few, a handful of corporations are responsible for 70% of, um, emissions yeah um so you putting solar panels on your house is not doing anything <laughs> and you using that as a way to dismiss us is very harmful so yeah sorry to interrupt you i just oh, yeah. thought of that that makes sense and while this saying is cliche i feel like it's just like uh what's the saying it's uh you're only as strong as oh uh you're only as strong as your weakest link is it that one? That's what it's yeah. Called. And mm -hmm. so these people can have these temporary solutions, but if they're not helping everyone else in their community who needs mm -hmm. to resource more, they're they're not gonna do anything, fix anything. Right, exactly. It it literally voids what you're doing. Like you're really not doing anything. It, the most you're doing is you're helping yourself save money, right? Because um, you don't have to pay in bills. And to some people, that's what they want. And they don't really care about community and they don't really care about actually supporting and, and rep, you know, we're big on reparations too. Like but things like that. You know. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think I stopped right before that went on. So, yeah. Okay. So, uh, so I've talked to some people and they'll call environmental justice, like a myth. 
And so what are some reasons that people may not believe in environmental justice? And where do you think these messages come from? Yeah, again, um, I think one thing that is that I think the the climate justice movement might struggle with, and I think a lot of social movements is narrative, right? I think the fight around narrative is very much being won by the opposition. And so folks hear these things around like, oh, that's not happening. Oh, the earth is always changing. Uh, you know, the climate's always changing. It's been happening for millions of years since the earth's been around. Um, that's not real um, kind of stuff has, has um, I think on the national stage and like, again, just thinking about me and, and Florida and stuff like that kind of narrative has really won and people really believe that. And people don't, another thing too that happens is like people don't see themselves because I think people kind of have this idea of like, oh, environmental, like it has to be like this really like in your face, like an incinerator has to be right in your community, right? But, you know, we've been talking right now like about other things that are like smaller, right? Um, and I think people don't see themselves in that sometimes. Um, and I think some people just really don't care because they really, again, I think in the US, again, US context, like there's very much this individualist um, framework and narrative that we were taught since, you know, we're kids in school. And it's about the individual, individual, individual. And so, you know, as long as I'm okay, and, you know, people's definitions of okay, are interesting, because <laughs> I would argue some of those people are not okay, um, would, you know, it's just, it's very, it's so embedded in, in how we think and how we see each other, um, that I think is a big problem. Okay. So I would say, yeah, individualism, I think, and that narrative has really, is has a chokehold on all of us, even those of us in fighting these climate movements, right? Because I, I have seen it where like a community is fighting against something and they might win, right? And then they think they're, you know, they're like, okay, we won. But it's like, no, you have, the fight continues and how do we support people that are going through the same thing, you know? So, yeah. And back to your first point on this question, I was just talking about this in history class. Propaganda has originally been seen, has been seen as like a war tactic, but it has evolved and it is now a part of social media of everything. Like mm -hmm. the random old videos with weird music about a war, mm -hmm. right? Perpetuates as an Instagram reel or really anything. Right. It's through music, through television, through movies, through I mean, I don't know how people still read, but even through literature, you know, it, it's in our educational systems. Um, it's, again, very embedded. And, you know, all of us are susceptible to fall to it, you know, um, because, again, that's this ex exceptionalization of the U.S. and exceptionalization of our society of like, oh, we're individuals, whatever, life, liberty, whatever the heck they say, right, um, that completely disregards looking at each other in a holistic way and is looking at each other as one instead of looking at each other as an individual, you know? Yeah. So 
On the counter side of that question, there also seems to be recently a rise in environmental justice activism. What do you think drove mm. that? And where do you think environmental justice as a concept is headed? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's just been brewing for years and decades, right? And you know, I always we always have to give honor to those folks who came before us who've been doing this work, right? Even when it wasn't called environmental justice or climate justice, you know, people have always been fighting against these systems in different ways. Um, again, I think the term and 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 how people talk about climate justice, environmental justice is, you know, probably 30, 40, maybe 50 years old, right? Um, and so I think it, it's really has been the groundwork of people beyond even environmental movements, like social movements, you know, uh, back to the civil rights work, right? Back to um, workers' unions fights and, and, and all these other fights that have been happening, right? For justice and equity. And so that has laid the foundation for for this movement right and um and i think it's been growing and i think it's growing because of that but it's also growing because we're at a we're at a crossroads right where this climate crisis is being felt more and more each year very dramatically especially for our communities who are on the front lines and it's not something we can ignore to like it, it's getting to a point where people even people that have traditionally not been affected cannot ignore, right? And so um, I think those, all those things have played a, a part in, into how we, how this, this movement has been building up, right? Um, and I think where it's going, um, I think a lot of power is being built uh, in this work and there is a lot of momentum, right? And, um, whether it comes, I think it's laying a foundation for this mutual solidarity, this mutual aid between communities that's going to be essential as this crisis gets worse, right? Because it's not getting better. And, you know, if we don't win the stop calm fossil fuel extraction, if this just continues accelerating in the speed it's accelerating, I think something that all of us in this movement are trying to ensure is that we can build support systems for our communities to be able to withstand this, right? Um, now and in the future. And if anything, it's just going to continue growing this movement, right? Um, and I think, again, what, what has really helped and supported that has been also the intersectionality of how we look at this and how we connected to the struggle for black liberation and we connected to the struggle for queer and trans folks, right? And we connected to the struggle for working people. Um, and we connected for you know struggle immigrant rights and refugees and anti-war, right? Um, it's all very interconnected. So yeah. Yeah. And as you just said, interconnected, intersectionality and just people coming together. That's kind of how a movement starts and how a movement succeeds. And that's mm -hmm. what we're getting here with environmental justice. Yeah. And you know, again, I, I would argue that the success isn't just the policy wins, if there are any, right? It's the success I think is gonna be in in ourselves and in our communities and how we organize each other and ourselves and how we relate to each other. Again, moving away from looking at each other as individuals, but 
looking at each other as a whole. Yeah, of course. So my last qu question for you, the member mobilization and engagement organizer, is how can us citizens help in this fight for environmental justice? Yeah, um, I think getting involved and engaged in it, right? I think that might sound so simple, but it's so important, right? And whether or not you're directly affected, right? Um, I think there are allies and there are, you know, people directly affected, but being engaged in it is important. And, you know, we all have different gifts, right? And so using those gifts to push that, right? You know, whether it's like communications, right? Like you do, you know, you do your podcast, that's important, you know, letting people know what's happening. Some people are more on the ground, some people are farmers, right? Some people are, you know, into healing, right? Using herbs and medicines, traditional medicine. Some people are more, you know, militant and are like, we're going to take this land back and we're going to use it for the people, right? Some people chain themselves to pipelines. So it's about finding ourselves in what our gifts are and what our space is in the movement. I think that is something we all have a responsibility to do, whether or not we come from an environmental justice community, right? Um, we, we do have a responsibility to, to partake in that. Um, I think, yeah, just continuing the conversation about it, you know, and pushing back against narratives that, that are, that are going against it. Um, and even if people don't get engaged in like, the climate movement per se, right? Like we've been talking this whole time. It's about this intersectionality. So folks that are fighting for black liberation, like that is still part of this broader movement of, you know, building a more just world, right? So it, it really is about finding your place and your gift and what that is and how that looks like and pushing back against, you know, these ideas, this idea of, of this individualism and really, and also living out these values that we, you're talking about, right? In your own day-to-day -day life. Um, so yeah. So in this fight of fire versus fire, we can win with water. And that water you would say is awareness, continuing the conversation and finding your own place as an environmental justice activist and this, regardless of where you came from. Yeah. And I would, the only, the only thing I would change is like, it doesn't even have to be environmental justice. It could be whatever movement for justice and equity that's intersectional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was an amazing talk. I learned a lot. So thank you so much, Mr. Todayama. Yeah, of course. Of course, Ryan. Anytime. Um, yeah. Let me know if you have any follow up or whatever you need from me. Um, I'm glad this was helpful. Um, I hope I didn't ramble too much. Um, it's Friday, so. So <laughs> uh, yeah, um, no, yeah, great to meet you. And yeah, stay in touch. You have my email. Um, anything else you need from me, just let me know. Okay, it was really great to talk to you. See you later. Same, have a great weekend. <laughs> Bye. Well, that's it for the 27th episode of A Change of the Chance. I hope you learned something, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.